G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the stories of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. So come along the journey, this time in the second half of our extended conversation with one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs, Canva's Cameron Adams. If any startup worldwide has focused on making the world a better place, it's Canva. What does that mean for Cam, both as an entrepreneur and as a person? How does he see himself as world-changing? We'll find out on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash twista for a free trial. User Testing, real human insight. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com slash twista. Back in episode four of series 10, we opened our interview with Cameron Adams. Cam is the co-founder and chief product officer of Canva, one of the biggest startups to ever come out of Australia. And we talked about what he and Canva had learned on the journey into success. We talked about how doing good became a central value for Canva and that that central value became a reason people chose to work at Canva. And in the global war for talent, those reasons, they actually make all the difference. So who else among Australia's startups has the same focus on doing good? Is there another technology firm of similar scale to yours that you know of that has made such an explicit commitment to values in this way? Uh, yeah, I think there's there's some real leading lights in technology who are really standing behind values and standing particularly behind social impact. Um, Salesforce are an amazing force in this realm. They're constantly giving to crises like the war in Ukraine. Uh, they've set up programs actually specifically targeted at getting other technology companies to think in this way as well. So they're one of the driving forces behind Pledge 1%. Um, and Mark is a constant voice for 
giving and empathy and you know positive social impact. Um, so that's one company. Uh, Stripe is doing amazing work in the climate space at the moment. Uh, I think they just got uh, shouted out by Fast Company as, as one of the most innovative companies for their work in climate. Um, so they're they're putting amazing thought into that. Uh, and even companies like Atlassian, you know, Scott and Mike are always championing the the side of good. They're obviously very, very prominent in Australian media, uh, but they're also a driving force behind Pledge 1%. Uh, and they're constantly putting their money where their mouth is. I mean, I agree with you. I think all of those examples, I don't think there's any example where such a large portion of the capital of the company has been pledged explicitly to philanthropy. Like, I mean, and Salesforce deserves every bit of their kudos, Atlassian, the others, they absolutely do. But there's, it feels to me that there's a qualitative difference you know, it's a, it's a quantitative difference that has become a qualitative difference that, in fact, someone who goes to work at Canva understands that the founders have pledged their sacred fortunes, right, to make the world a better place. It, it, I, don't, I don't want to seem too special, but it definitely resonates with a lot of people. Um, and it is the ultimate stamp of saying, Yes, we're ultimately for you know helping the world rather than helping our pockets, um, and it has been something we've communicated quite uh, vociferously with internally as well as externally recently about being a force for good and kind of this two-step plan that we've had uh, under the under the under the covers for a while, but we we kind of went into it in a blog post recently. And, and step one of the plan is build one of the most valuable companies in the world. And step two is to do the most good. Um, we think that those two steps are a really virtuous cycle because uh, as we create more value in Canva, it allows us to do more good. And as we do more good, it actually creates more value because more customers are drawn to us, more employees are drawn to us because they want to work here. And it becomes this really great machine that's creating more value and creating more good at the same time. All right. That's a, a perfect pivot. So in on the to topic of creating more good, uh, last year you sent me an email and I need to tell the story of this because I got an email from you and it was the first email I'd gotten from you in probably at least half a decade. And it was an email with an attachment. And because it was an email from you with no explanation and an attachment, I immediately assumed someone was phishing and I deleted the email. All right. That is my own personal paranoia. It was the middle of the pandemic, all these other things. But in fact, what you were doing was inviting me to write a letter to the Australian government about their climate change policies, a letter that was then published. And, you know, going through the list, it's like, oh, my God, you've got all of my friends and I'm not on here. And you've also got Craig Blair on there, who was the other half of the episode of Twister that you were on, which is brilliant, right? Perfect. And I think part of it was because it was unexpected to me that you were going to do this. I wasn't expecting to hear from you. It was wonderful. It was surprising. There was a lot of firepower in those signatures. What brought you to that? I think that, that one in particular was a, a small little campaign that we put together in that moment just because we were so frustrated. So I and a lot of Canva see climate change as being the biggest existential threat to human race and also the planet. 
uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, wars will start because of it, societies will change because of it, countries will shift because of it. Um, and frankly, we're not seeing enough action from it from the people that we need to actually, you know, put us into action. Governments, big corporations, fossil fuel companies, like they're all burying their head in the sand and trying to do business as usual. Um, and that campaign we put out was to just kind of, we're attempting to short circuit the kind of conversation that you normally have, where you trot out a bunch of statistics about how much emissions Australia is putting out, how much coal contributes to it, how we need to you know, electrify as many things as we can, improve renewable energy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we just wanted to attempt to try and change the conversation a bit uh, and make it a bit more emotional, uh, like on a deep emotional level, um, and a bit more positive as well, because there is massive opportunity in climate action, shifting Australia's economy away from digging up fossil fuels and towards technologies that can help us actually reduce emissions, create new industries, move across the renewable energy. It's not just the footprint that we have as Australia, it's the mindset shifts that we can facilitate around the globe and the way that we can push out the technologies that we create to meet our own net zero targets to all countries around the world and be this inspiring beacon. And it is truly an opportunity and one that we're not seizing, uh, one in particular that the current government is not seizing. So we put out that campaign and encourage people to write their letters about why climate action was important to them. And we wanted to get a whole range of society from little kids, which we did, through to business owners, through to grand grandparents. Um, and we actually got hundreds of different letters submitted to the site, hand-drawn letters, typed letters, letters designed in Canva, a whole bunch. But each of them, you know, much as I was talking about before, was an individual story from someone who is being affected by climate change, sees what the future is, and wants us to change as a society. And it offered some really some real hope and some real positivity to it and just attached a face and a name to people who were demanding change from our politicians. Um, a heap of business owners signed up to that and uh, they're actually signing up to a net zero agreement. Um, so we have put in our own uh, net zero targets by 2030, which we're well ahead of exceeding. Um, we'll actually be net zero by next year. Um, and everyone else who signed up to that letter was signing up to their own net zero agreement, most by 2030, uh, all at least by 2040, which is obviously 10 years ahead of the, the Paris Agreement. Um, and, you know, when you're faced with something like climate change, often you can just throw up your hands and say, what the hell can I do? I'm just one person. But we need to all do as much as we can, all shout as loud as we can, put our voices together, keep telling the message over and over and influence what you can. Like we can influence what Canva does, what our footprint is, what our, what our emissions are, where we get stuff from the kitchen, where we ship stuff from, what sort of materials we use in our products. Like we can influence that and it has ripple effects because when we start looking at the physical products we print on, we talk to our print partners, we talk to their suppliers, we talk to their logistics chain, 
And that starts discussion about how they can lower their emissions, move to electric vehicles, move to, you know, more sustainable and ethical, you know, supply chains. And it does have this massive ripple effect. Um, and as a company, we might be 2,800 people, but our extended community that we deal with is tens of thousands of people. And beyond that, we've got all our millions of customers. And the more we just push it out, the more change will happen. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. And when we return, we talk to Cam about philanthropy and how it can be used to change the world. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, including Australia, where startups brought in a record $4.2 billion in investments. Our crowd identifies those companies with the greatest growth potential and then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing and more, our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Sophisticated investors have already invested over $2 billion in growing tech companies, and our crowd has skin in the game. They invest in their portfolio companies and use their extensive networks to help those startups succeed. As a sophisticated investor, you can truly diversify your portfolio with early investments in innovative private market companies at our crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com twista. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. And we're back talking with Canva co-founder Cameron Adams. All right. Let's talk about your own personal philanthropy. What do you see as the focus and how does it work? How do you decide what's important to put backing behind and what's relevant? I think through through my work with climate change and getting Canva to think about it uh, and build up the sustainability team that we have there, uh, put a real focus on the planet and what sort of planet we want to live in. Uh, so there is a lot happening in, in terms of climate action. People are thinking about carbon emissions, et cetera. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we can go and plant huge pine plantations that sequester a whole ton of carbon, and that could be part of the solution. But beyond that, climate action doesn't necessarily guarantee a planet that you want to live on, a planet that has a diversity of wildlife and plants on it, a true biodiversity a planet that not only represents what we want to do as humans, but every other inhabitant of the planet, from insects to birds to mammals to fish to seaweed to forests. Um, and my wife and I are very passionate about biodiversity, conservation and restoration. Um, and that's where we are personally looking uh, to champion and put a lot of our funds and a lot of our effort towards. So do you want to talk about any specifics there? Um, so we're working on a bunch of projects at the moment uh, focused on conserving landscapes and also restoring them. And it looks different in different parts of the world. Uh, 
down here in Tasmania, where we are at the moment, uh, the landscape is fairly developed. We've got lots of national parks down here that, that are locked away and, and are pristine and beautiful. Uh, but there's also a lot of farmland down here that has been changed over time as people have developed it. Um, and through that development, a lot of biodiversity has been lost. You, you go through the midlands of Tasmania, it's a lot of sheep farming, it's a lot of cropping, um, and it's a lot of monoculture. Uh, and the landscape has definitely been changed. And we're seeing, you know, drops in native animals, native fauna, a lot of eucalypts are really struggling, particularly with climate change, and creating more resilient landscapes that are home to, you know, biodiverse collections of plants and animals uh, that have these pockets that are resilient, that can resist the climate change that is inevitably going to happen. You know, we are going to feel the effects of climate change, whether we, whether we uh, you know, have the uh, suitable levels of climate action or not. Um, so we need to create these areas that are sanctuaries and, and oases for, for biodiversity. Um, so that's what we're focusing on down here in Tasmania. And that leads to a lot of work with farmers because farmers own a lot of land. They're constantly working on the land and they do want to be good stewards for the land. Uh, but a lot of farming practices that have been established to feed everyone and, and deal with the, the massive consumerism that we have uh, can be detrimental to the land and detrimental to biodiversity. Um, so one of the projects we're focusing on is really helping farmers who want to change the way that they farm um, and look at a more sustainable future for their farmland and also for the plants and animals that interact with it. Um, we're looking at financial models which will help them transition their farms across to a new way of doing things while boosting their productivity, increasing the number of you know, wildlife that can live on their property. Um, and living in real balance because we think that it's not, it's not realistic that you just lock up vast swathes of the planet and humans never interact with it. Like humans are a fact of life. We're here, we interact with the landscape, but we need to do so in a really considered and balanced way. Uh, and being able to do that uh, through the large swathes of farmland that are in Tasmania and across Australia uh, is really important for creating these biodiversity belts that can exist into the future. Um, we're also looking around the world at, at uh, similar sorts of things in places like the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, uh, the way that you know, cocoa farming is done or coconut farming. Um, we're looking at taro farming in West Papua and how that can support indigenous peoples to live off the land, obtain a livelihood, uh, and still maintain the amazing rainforest that they have there. Uh, so it kind of removes the need for palm oil plantations and, you know, huge, huge-scale logging uh, by giving people real livelihoods that they can uh, ex uh, kind of develop without ruining the landscapes around them. Uh, it gives us real hope for conserving that land. So in a way, then, your philosophy around world changing is to help migrate in, in a broadest sense, the agricultural system. And if you do it once right somewhere, then you can actually apply those lessons to other places until it becomes something that is just general practice. Yeah. Agriculture is one stream, uh, but there's, there's heaps of ways in which humans interact with the environment and ways in which we impact the environment. Uh, 
Um, you can look at ecotourism. You can look at the way that, uh, you know, we, we do conserve land at the moment through parklands and national parks, uh, particularly how that land supports itself. So traditionally, a lot of conservation relies on donations. Uh, you know, traditional philanthropy, which is just handing over a lot of money, saying goodbye to it, it goes and does some good, but then the next year you need someone else to step in and fill the void. Um, so we're really looking at ways of creating models where money can be used to multiply the value on the land, maintain the biodiversity, uh, but still uh, create the funds needed to keep that going. Uh, so you're not constantly asking for handouts. It's more of an investment that you're making that can help create both natural capital value as well as financial capital value in land. And it, this is something similar to what I saw when I went to Rwanda back in 2015. I went to see the mountain gorillas, as you do, because it's Rwanda, and you pay an enormous amount of money. It's well over $1,000 because that's the fee that pays the folks who used to be the poachers who are now the trackers right, of all of this land on top of the volcanoes so that it provides an economically sustainable way to preserve the ecosystem. Right. So they found a way to actually make that work that doesn't require continuous inputs of external money. Yeah, exactly. There's so many different models that can apply in different landscapes and for different people. And finding those models is a really fascinating exercise. Uh, and it's really interesting for us at the moment because we're learning a lot. We're exploring a lot. We're helping people develop the models that they already have. We're helping communities find new models that will support where they want to go. Um, and it's a really fascinating area, but one that we truly believe in. Like we believe in this nexus between humans being stewards of lands, still deriving, deriving their own livelihoods from it, but really being in harmony with the plants and animals that exist there. All right. So second last question, just to pop up to a bit of a context. Okay. So we see Mike Cannon Brooks doing things like trying to buy AGL or he's just gotten, I think, another quarter billion dollars to put a cable across the Timor Sea to bring power to Indonesia so that they don't have to burn coal to power Indonesia, which is what they do now. He basically Twitter teased Elon Musk into putting the battery into South Australia. We see folks who've been very successful in startups using that success to change the world. That's not new. Bill Gates is another very solid modern example, really the defining modern example of this. But it is starting to feel a lot more focused. Is that a sign of the times or a sign of philanthropy or both? What do you, what do you mean when you say focused? So Bill Gates very famously, with the Gates Foundation, decided it was going to be not controversial. And this is why it backed things like malaria eradication or perhaps access to toilets in the developing world, which are very good things and everyone will agree about them. John Rockefeller, 100 years earlier, exactly the same thing. These are people who were quite controversial in their careers because they were both monopolists, but when they decided they were going to be philanthropists, took non-controversial approaches. Whereas you now have Mike Cannon-Brooks basically trying to have uh, a hostile takeover of one of Australia's energy providers, right? And you can see the way that philanthropy is maybe getting a bit more pointed around this. Is this something that you think we're going to see more of? Is that a sign of the times? I think the the types of entrepreneurs that you're talking about, and particularly you know modern entrepreneurs, they and we function by seeking out problems and fixing those problems. 
Um, and right now we have some extremely pointed problems, problems that could possibly end life on Earth. Uh, they feel very urgent and very critical, and we need to take urgent action on them. And I applaud, you know, moves like Mike putting in a takeover bid for AGL because it's a kind of radical problem solving that we need to actually shift things on this. When the government isn't going to make a move to, you know, uh, cease the use of fossil fuels, we need to take action into our own hands. And when you have the means, like Mike does, for access to huge amounts of capital and huge amounts of influence, you should use it. Uh, so I really applaud applaud him for stuff like that. So some of it is that it's reading the room. Some of it is that entrepreneurs are daring to be bold. All right, final question. It's actually pretty obvious. Yes, even with your 80 million monthly users and all the success, it's actually pretty obvious that Canva is really only just at the beginning of its arc. What about you? What is your? What do you think your arc looks like now? I think my arc is we have created an amazing company so far, and I wouldn't even back when I, you know, interviewed with you last, I couldn't have imagined how big Canva would grow. When we were ten people, we could barely imagine what we would do with ten more people. Um, and now that Canva is the size of three thousand people. Uh, I can definitely imagine what we would do with another 3,000. So your ambition grows. Your ambition has, has a way of accelerating, um, strangely. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hitting the next layer or next level of impact that we can have through Canva, not only through the product itself because we're constantly doing interesting things through the product, but also through all the ways that we just talked through in this podcast. Uh, the social impact that we can have, the change that we can drive, the message which we can send out, and the ways in which we can empower people through giving them money or helping them, you know, fuel their cause, or by creating a movement, you know, amongst Canvanauts, amongst Canva customers, amongst anyone who'll listen. Uh, that's really exciting to me, and I'm really keen to explore it. Cam, thank you very much for coming on to this week in Startups Australia. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people who you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing real human insight.
It is long past time in this series for us to actually discuss what makes a world-changing startup. And to be honest, I had to give this a lot of thought, but it actually crystallized for me when I was listening to Andrea Gardner in the, ser- the episode five news special when she was talking about a startup named Quantum Brilliance. I had heard of Quantum Brilliance, but it really wasn't until she outlined in brief what they did, that I really understood it and why it is a world-changing startup. So what I want to do is I want to identify four qualities that I believe are essential definitional qualities to world-changing startups. So the first one, an idea that actually makes the world better. So why would quantum brilliance apply to that? Well, quantum brilliance, as Andrea said, is making a room temperature, basically diamond substrate quantum computer. And right now, quantum computers are very big. They basically have to be kept within a few degrees of absolute zero because quantum calculations effectively destroy the quantum states and the quantum computers that they're created on. You can think of it as basically trying to read a computer while it's in the process of exploding. Quantum brilliance is clearly using a different technique. And once we actually have some sort of mainstream quantum computing, there are a whole series of very important problems, particularly including genetics and biology, that become soluble for computational biologists and computational geneticists in something that won't take tens of thousands of years, but will simply take hundreds or thousands of hours. So this is an incredibly potent technology, and of course it has other sides to it because it can also be used to crack encryption and all sorts of other things. It's very much two phases to that technology, but there is no question that pervasive, relatively inexpensive, room temperature quantum computing would make the world better. It would change the world. So that is the first one. We're going to give that a strong tick. Second, and this is where the rubber meets the road, it has to be within the realm of scientific and technical achievability. Now, presumably the folks at Quantum Brilliance are, in fact, deep science, and they know that they can do this, and they're on a fabrication pathway to this. And and we had talked about, you know, first being the size of an iPad and now being the size, I think, of a USB stick is where they're heading. It's because they do understand the science, because they do understand the technology that they can make predictions like this. And so you you can have a world-changing idea, but if it's not realizable in the world that we're in or if there isn't a path from the world that we're in to that innovation, then that is not a world-changing idea. That is a castle in the air. And we actually have to be really ruthless about this. You know, VCs are notoriously adverse to doing rocket ship projects, right? Things that will take forever and may or may not ever launch. They don't like those kinds of science projects. And it's because they're assuming too much risk. And that's because the entrepreneur does not have a clear path to scientific and technical achievability. Now, that doesn't mean that that path may not be years long. Morse Micro, which has been mentioned on this show and other places, has also been at it for years and years and years, and it's getting closer and closer to market, but they're doing a hard thing. Hard things take time. I think there are VCs who have patience for that, but it's because they understand that it is a technically achievable idea. So that's the second quality. Okay, third, it has to be economically rational. It has to have a business model. 
You can create something that is world-changing, but if you haven't built a business model around it, then your world-changing idea will probably have a lot of difficulty in getting to the scale that it needs to be able to change the world. Even a world-changing idea needs to be able to sell itself to the world. And that can be a slow process or a hard process. There can be a lot of friction in that process. All of those things can always be true for world-changing ideas. But there still has to be a process in place there that relies more on the fact that people will benefit from it economically than, than this is just a good thing and we should all do it. That is always a much more difficult task. And it really relies on, I guess, an infinite reservoir of human goodwill rather than going, okay, look, at people are a mixture of goodwill and self-interest. And in fact, economically rational ideas will tend to be able to work across both of those. So that's the third of those, this economic rationality. And fourth, that there is manageable execution risk. So you can have an idea that will make the world better. It can be within technical achievability. It, there can be a great business model behind it. But now you actually have to take a look at the people who are executing that idea. And do they understand what they're doing? And are they managing the risks of that idea? Because if they aren't, if the team is too green and unproven, or they are unsupported, or they're one founder doing it alone, all of these things that could be happening at the same time, or perhaps out outside influences, which also can introduce their own execution risk, whether there's a war or some change in plan or whatever it might be. You have to be able to assess that. You'll never be able to do that completely, but you will be able to get a good read of the team and their ability to be able to cope in a dynamic environment as they're working on bringing that world-changing idea to the world. So those four things, making the world better, something that is technically and scientifically achievable. It's economically rational and it has manageable execution risk. These are the four qualities that we will be looking for in every one of the 10 world-changing Australian startups that we've identified. And we will start looking at them in our next episode. We'll be right back. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis does. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service and relies on Zendesk for his launch investment syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit zendesk.com twista.
Big thanks to Twista sponsors Our Crowd, User Testing, and Zendesk. More big thanks to Cam Adams for making time to come on to our show. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. Next week, we'll get an overview of 10 of Australia's world-changing startups. You won't want to miss it. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.